I am glad to be here today, and I am glad that you're here today. This is uh, kind of unusual for Christmas Eve to fall on a Sunday. Every seven years or something, right? Uh, so it's not that unusual, but it's kind of unusual for me to preach on Christmas Eve. And I know a lot of churches will have sermons about Christmas, sermons about the baby Jesus. And there are other churches that will have sermons about how we don't celebrate Christmas. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about why He was born, but we're going to take maybe a little different approach to that this morning than uh, maybe you've heard some in the past. You know, my great-grandparents were married 65 years. Picture them in the middle. That's my grandmother on your far left and her brother on your far right. They were married 65 years. Can you imagine? I mean, Carrie and I have been married 27 years. And uh, it's been a wonderful 27 years, but that's like one-third as long as they were married. And it's already in our life to the point where, and it doesn't happen a lot, but where Carrie's gone and the kids are all gone, I'm at home, and it just don't seem right, you know? It doesn't seem right for me to not be with her. After 65 years, can you imagine what that would be like to lose your spouse? I mean, somebody that you have been with all the time for that long? You know, my great-grandfather, when my great-grandmother died, almost killed him. You know, a lot of times that happens, you know, when somebody's been married a long time, their spouse dies, that person dies soon thereafter. You've seen it, you've noticed it probably, right? He almost died. He was dying of loneliness because he was separated from grandmother. I mean, they'd always been together all these years, and they were separated. You know, the longer you're together, the more oneness there is, the more unity there is in a couple. If you can stay together a long, long time, you work through hard times. Even the best of marriages works through hard, through challenges, difficulties. They stay together a long time in a relationship. And the longer you're together, the closer you become. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it normally works. The longer you're together, the closer you be. The closer you be, the closer you become. Okay? I want to talk to you for a moment about a relationship between a couple of people that's been really long. I mean, like, really, really long. If you go back in your Bibles to Genesis, to the very beginning, we read this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who do you think He was talking about there when He said us? God was in the beginning, and God said, Let us make man in our image. He didn't say, I will make man in my image. Who was He talking about? Well, you know as well as I do that he was talking about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. They were there together. Now, that's been a long time ago. Whether you're a young earther or an old earther, it's been a long, long time that they've been together, right? Long time. In fact, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the very beginning, the Word, and we find the Word was Jesus, as we read a little bit longer. He was with God in the very beginning. I mean, they were together in the beginning. Now, some of you I've known for a long time. I've known my sister here. I've known her probably longer than any of the rest of you here. Uh, 
as you know people a long time, you just, especially if you spend a lot of time with them, you just develop a, a closeness, a unity, an understanding of why they do the things they do and how they're going to do the things that they do. That's just what happens, and I believe that happened very much with Jesus. The Bible tells us that he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's what Jesus said. Now, I've been married to Carrie for 27 years, but I would not say if you've seen me, you've seen Carrie. <laughs> That's not true. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things we're still not that unified on, even though we're very unified and have a wonderful marriage, and we want to make sure everyone knows that. Uh, it's not like this. I mean, they were so one that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you imagine that? I mean, them being that together, that unified, that much of one. Look at this. Jesus prayed that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you just as we are all one. From the very beginning, they were united in purpose and in love. But you know what? We can go back even further than the beginning of this world. Look at this. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So not only was Jesus there with God in the beginning, but He was there before the world was. You see, Jesus is the one who helped create this earth. He and His Father began this together. This was a unique relationship that had lasted for forever. Not just for a little while, not just for a long while, but for forever. Look at this passage. The Word was became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the Father. Now this season of Christmas is what people celebrate. They celebrate the truth in this verse right here. The truth that the only begotten of the Father came and dwelt among us. And I would ask you, why did this happen? Why did God choose to take this one that He had been one forever and send Him down here to live on this earth? Why did He take Jesus, who was God, and make Him a man? Make Him one of the creatures, one of the created ones who would come and live together on this earth with this this creation that He had made. I believe there are, you know, lots of things we could talk about as answers to this, but I want to focus on a couple. One in particular. The Son of Man came to give His life a ransom for me. You know the story. The story of the baby Jesus, of Mary and Joseph and the angel appearing to Mary and her going off to be with Elizabeth and her coming back and Joseph's going to divorce her because she's expecting a child and then the angel appears to him and then they go to Bethlehem and the little baby and there's no room in the inn and they're born in a manger and all. You know why that happened? That happened so Jesus could die. That's the reason that happened. Jesus was born to die. That's why He came here. Now, the truth is we're all born and we're going to die, but we weren't born to die. That wasn't the purpose in our birth. There was a purpose in His birth. That was the reason He was born on this earth. That's the reason He left heaven, is to come here so He 
could die to give his life a ransom for many. And that brings us to this truth right here. The Bible says, Paul says here, He, this is God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It says God didn't spare his own son. He delivered him up for us all. And he said, how can we think that he wouldn't give us all things? Now, what things is he talking about here? What are the all things? That, you know, because I've looked at my Christmas list. Every year, my mom sends an email to my wife and says her a text and says, hey, I need your Christmas list. And so we all put together a list of stuff. And I put some stuff on there that's really cheap, and I put some stuff on there that's not really cheap to give people a selection if they want to get me something. If they don't, that's fine. But I know this. Every Christmas I've ever had, everything wasn't marked off the list. I mean, maybe a lot of stuff got marked off the list, but I never had a Christmas where everything was marked off the list, right? But this says God will give us all things. What all things is He talking about? If you back up one verse, you read this, he's already talking about. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Once again, what things is he talking about in this? Well, this passage is just like any other passage in the Bible. You back up and keep backing up until you find out what he's talking about. And then you can read through and understand. Let's back up again. A couple more verses. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. These things, the promise that if you are a faithful child of God, if you are serving Him, that all things will work together for good to you. That God is on your side. You know what He says here? He is Paul's Paul is almost speechless to this. He says, do you realize that the Almighty God has promised that if I'll serve Him, if I love Him, that everything ultimately is going to work out? You know how I would say this? I would say that He is on my side. You see? He's on my side. He is not against me ever in any way. He is on my side. You see, God is for you. What should we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that's what Paul says, what am I going to say about this? If God is on your side, who can be against you? God is for you. He's not against you. You see, your sickness is not a judgment from God. Your broken car is not a punishment from God for something you've done. He doesn't make your car break down. You know, we all have heartache. We all have sorrow. We all have trouble in our lives, don't we? Don't you? I do. Doing what I do, it's not shockingly unusual for me to go to the hospital and visit people who are suffering, people who've lost a lot. And you know, when that happens, it's not that unusual for me sometimes to be called to a family that has a child that's in the hospital that may die. I heard this morning about a man and his wife who are celebrating Christmas this year having lost eight family members this year. Eight. 
crazy. It's an old man and his wife. And you know, they went to church at that church down south of San Antonio where the shooting was. Eight family members, their son and his wife, their grandson and his wife, and their four children all killed that day. What do you say to that? I mean, you know what, when we, we had the radio, we were listening to the radio show this morning that Bruce Kessler does, the Christian morning hour that he does on Sundays, and he talked about that. And as he was talking about that and telling that story, Carrie started crying. It's touching. I mean, it's sad. Can you imagine how horrible that would be? And you look at that, and sometimes there's a tendency to be like Job's friends were. You know, Job lost all his kids, and Job had all kinds of problems and trouble and heartache. And Job's friends all sat there and they said, Well, you must have been doing something bad because God's punishing you. And the Apostle Paul says right here, That's not true. That's not the case. You see, Job's friends didn't understand. They didn't get it. That if you are a faithful child of God, if you love God and you're serving God, He has promised He is on your side. He is never against you. Your marital strife is not a sign of His wrath. You losing your job is not a penalty for sin. Those are things that happen in this world, and they happen because of sinful people and because of the devil and a lot of other things, as he explains in Job. But that's not God being mad at you. That's not God being against you. He says this, What should we say then to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, if God is on your side, can anyone really stand against you? You go, well, I don't know. You know, I've got an awful mean boss. Oh, I've got a mean boss, and he's not fair to me, and he treats me bad. And You know, I don't know. My health is bad, and I, I, you know, I don't know why I've got bad health. The truth is, people can do things to you, but the end result, if you're a faithful child of God, the end result is a promise from God that He's on your side and things will work out for good. Now, this doesn't say only good things are going to happen, but you see, if someone steals your car or makes you sick or sows seeds of strife in your marriage or whatever happens in your life here, God promised you... No matter what that is, if you're a faithful child of His, in the end, He's going to make that turn out for good. What a promise. What a blessing. Do you know who God is? He is the Almighty Creator of the universe. I mean, He could stop the world right like that just now if He wanted to. He'd stop it all. And He, this powerful God, has promised you that all things are going to turn out for good on your side. Look at this. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do you know where that comes from, that phrase? That's Genesis chapter 45. That's a story in the Old Testament of a guy named Joseph. Do you remember that story? Joseph's brother sold him as a slave, and he started out life pretty privileged. Wealthy dad, favorite son of the wealthy dad, but his brothers hate him. He's sold as a slave. I mean, he lost everything he had, family and all of it, right? And he ends up 
being lied about by, this, by his master's wife and falsely accused of a crime, thrown in jail where he didn't deserve. You know, you know that whole story. And in the end, God makes him the second most powerful man in the world. There's a famine. His brothers who sold him as a slave had to come buy food from him. They get there. They finally realize, he messes with them a little bit, but then they finally realize it's Joseph and he tells them who he is and they're scared to death because you know what they did to him. And he says, don't be angry with yourselves. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you believe God can do that? Do you believe God can take something that people mean for evil and make it turn out for good? you believe that? I believe that. I absolutely believe God can do that. I know God can do that. You know, we, we've all got our little phrases that we use sometimes. I've got a phrase Carrie makes fun of me sometimes or teases me. doesn't make fun of me, but teases me about. A lot of times in prayer, I'll ask God for something that He's promised to us and then I'll say, and we know you can do this. I know you'll do it because you told us you will, and I believe you. The reason I say that phrase is because that's true. I believe that. I believe if God tells us something, it's going to happen. And I believe God has the power to take something that some man intends for evil and bring good out of it. Now, you know that shooting that we were talking about a minute ago down in south of San Antonio. There was a man that meant that for evil. And it was fascinating to me. I told you Carrie started crying. She left the room so she didn't hear the rest of the story. You know what that old man said? He said, you know, everybody wants us to snivel around and complain and whine. He says, I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because I believe in heaven. And he said, I'm going to be there and see my kids and my grandkids again pretty soon because I'm old. I said, yeah, I'm sad that they're not going to come down the sidewalk to my house this Christmas. But I'm going to see them again. You know what? He believes this promise that all things. He believes that God is for us, not against us. And I believe this story of the birth of Jesus is all about that. You know, the Bible says after all these things, the Gentiles say, Jesus said this. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We believe we can trust Him. I believe we can trust God, don't you? You say, well, I think so. I hope so. I believe we can trust He says God will provide whatever you need. I heard a guy talking about giving away things at Christmas. And... You know, most of us are real concerned about what we're going to get for Christmas, right? I mean, we all want to make sure that people know what we want so we can get what we want. And you occasionally will see an article about some family that decides to not get Christmas gifts for their kids because the kids are ungrateful brats. And, you know, you give them something, they go, Only a book? What are you talking about, a book? I don't want a book. And they're ungrateful and, you know, you read stories like that. The Bible here says that we can trust God to give us all things. Everything we need. This guy was talking about giving away stuff. And evidently he'd given away a whole bunch. And he said, I have friends that come to me and say, but what if you give away too much? 
He said, what do you mean give away too much? Yeah, what if you give away too much where you don't have enough for yourself? You got to watch out for yourself. You got to take care of yourself. He said, what am I going to do, starve? They said, well, you might starve. You might give away so much that you starve. He said, now, let's get real. This is America. (laughs) If I get to where I've given away everything I've got, I'll go to a shelter and I'll get some food. He said, I'm probably not going to starve here in America. Besides all of that, God promised that He would provide food and clothing for me if I would put His kingdom first. You believe that? I believe that. I believe if we put His kingdom first. Somebody says, well, you know, I would like to believe that. I know the Bible teaches that. I would like to believe that. But, but what's the proof? I mean, people do starve to death. People do die horrible deaths. And people do suffer terrible things. I mean, what's the proof that God is really on my side? And His proof is this. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He did not spare His own Son. Now, I want you to think about this. He didn't spare Jesus. Do you know what that means, to spare someone? To spare them means to deliver them from some kind of bad, right? He didn't spare them. He didn't spare Jesus from the cursing. You know, people cursed Him. You know what? I've got a son right here. If somebody starts cursing Him and I can stop it, I'm going to get in the way and try to stop it. He didn't spare Jesus. He didn't spare him the brutality. It was terrible brutality. Do you see the movie The Passion of the Christ? Do you see what they did to him? God did not spare him. He didn't spare him the lies. People lied about him. People said things that weren't true. I mean lied terrible lies about him. He didn't spare him. He didn't spare him the feeling of being betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends. If you could spare your child that, wouldn't you spare him? God did not spare his own son. He did not spare his own son. You know what? This wasn't just some man. This wasn't some prophet that God chose to put through all these things. This wasn't Job. This was his own son. And at this point, it was His only Son. Now today, God has adopted us who are Christians into His family. And God has many, many children, many millions of children today. But when this happened, He had one. One only Son. I've got three daughters, and I've got one Son. That's the way God was. He had one son. And he didn't spare that son. This Jesus who was pre-existing. He was ever-existent. He was non-created. He was the divine image of the Father. He had been with His Father forever. And God didn't spare Him. Now Paul's argument is this. He didn't spare Him, but He delivered Him up us all. He delivered His Son. 
You know, sometimes when there's a, an arrest warrant put out for someone, somebody will maybe convince them to come with them and they will deliver them to the police, right? And they'll surrender themselves. You know who delivered Jesus? God did. Now in the Bible, you read a lot of people involved in the delivery of Jesus. The Bible says Judas delivered Jesus to the Jews. The Bible says Herod and the Jews delivered Jesus to Pilate. Pilate delivered Jesus to the people to be crucified. The 1 Corinthians 15 says we delivered Jesus. And John 10 even says Jesus delivered Himself. All of that goes back to one thing, that that was the predetermined plan of God to deliver Jesus. That was God's plan from the very beginning. I don't know what all God and Jesus were doing before the creation of the world, but I know part of it was planning for Jesus to be delivered by the predetermined counsel of God. Look at this. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nail to the cross. You see, part of that forever time that Jesus and God spent together before they created the world was devising this plan that I'm going to deliver you up and I'm not going to spare you. And I'm going to do this to prove that I'm on their side. I'm going to do this to prove that my life is all about them. That I'm going to serve them. Or I'm going to save them. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews? It says the angels when they, they think about this, they're amazed and they long to look into it. They don't understand it. Because you know why? You know what God did when angels sinned? Do you, you know what God did when angels sinned? He cast them out of heaven and reserved them in chains for the pit of hell is what He did when angels sinned. And you know what He did when man sinned? Man who is less than an angel? He became a man and died in their place and adopted them into His family as His children. And the angels look at that and they go, Really? Really? That's crazy. Why would you do that? Because that's the God we serve. We serve a God who is a people lover. I mean, He loves you and He loves me and He's on our side. He's not against us. God is never against you, no matter what happens to you in your life. And the proof of that is He sent His Son to die for you. And He says, if He would send His Son, His only Son, and not spare Him, but deliver Him to all of these things, if He would do that, do you think He'd hold out on you anything you needed? Really? Do you think He would? No. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, He indeed foreordained, or was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This was always God's idea from the very beginning. It's why Jesus came. It's why He was born. It's why He lived. And it's why He died. It was God proving to you that He loves you so much that there's nothing. You see, the death of Jesus was the Mount Everest that stood between you and salvation. You couldn't be saved without it. And God was still willing to give His Son for you. Even though you don't deserve it. You know you don't deserve it, don't you? You know you don't deserve it. 
You know the hatred or the lust or the anger or the unforgiveness or the meanness in your heart. You know what's been there. You know you don't deserve that. But God loved you so much He did that anyway. What greater proof could that be? What greater, greater proof could there be anywhere? And it says, He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He says, Do you think that God would give you this and then withhold some little something that you needed? Do you really think that? Of course not. You can trust God. He has proven His faithfulness to you. He has proven to you that there is nothing you will ever need that He won't give you. He has proven to you that all things will work out for good if you'll serve Him. He has proven that to you because He gave you the only thing that we couldn't give ourselves. He gave to you the most precious, valuable thing that He had. And so how pitiful for us to sit and doubt. How pitiful for us to complain and grumble as though God was holding out on us, as though God didn't give us something, as though God was unfair to us in some way by allowing us to be exposed to some of the hardships or challenges or mistreatments that we suffer at the hands of other people. How pitiful is that? He says, no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. God doesn't withhold any good thing from us. You know why? Because He loves us. That's why. God doesn't withhold any good thing from you. Everything that you suffer, everything that you face, everything that you deal with, everything that is hard for you, God makes it work out for good. Because even though they plan evil, God plans it for good. There will be a good outcome. There will be a good result. But you know what? This is just like every other promise of God. It's conditional for those who love the Lord and who are the called according to His purpose. If you don't love God, if you just love yourself, maybe you go to church occasionally, but you just love yourself, that promise is not for you. You've got to love God. You have to love Him. His love for you is unconditional. His promises for you are not unconditional. His blessings are not unconditional, but His love is. He loves you. But there's condition. You have to love Him too. If you want these blessings, if you want these promises, you have to be willing to serve Him. You have to be willing to trust Him. If you won't trust Him, He says when you pray to me, if you pray doubting, don't you think you're going to get anything from God because He's not going to answer your prayer. If you don't trust Him when you pray, He's not going to answer that prayer. That's where you and I come into the equation. God loves you and He loves me and His love will win out for all those who love Him, but it's our choice. God's not going to force you to love Him. God didn't make robots. And if you want to live your life and do your life the way you want to do and rebel against Him and be selfish and live the way you want to live and not serve Him, that's fine. You just go ahead and do that. He's not going to force you not to. But if you love Him, if you really commit that more than anything else in the world, I want to please Him, 
I know I mention this a lot, but when you come to church, your goal in church is not to be able to go, hey, that was good. The goal is when you leave for God to look down at you and go, that was good. Your goal is to come here and worship Him, to please Him, to satisfy Him. And when you do anything in your life, anything, ask yourself, does this please God? I mean, is this what He wants me to do? And if it does, then I don't care if it pleases anybody else or not. Because I've pleased the one that matters, you see? I've pleased the one that it makes a difference to please. But if I don't please Him, what's the point? Because no one loves you more than God. Listen, I look out, I see, I know most of you. I don't know all of you, but I know most of you. If you call me in the middle of the night, if you need anything, I'm there for you. I would do that for any of you here. I love you. But I don't love you near as much as God does. If you're around me very much, I'll get on your nerves. I'll be short-tempered with you. Quit shaking your head, Christy. I'll be short-tempered with you. I'll promise you I'll do something and not get it done. Those kinds of things are going to happen with me. But they don't happen with God. You trust God. God is not unfaithful. And He loves you way more than your mom and your daddy. He loves you way more than your husband or your wife. He loves you way more than your kids. He loves you so much that He proved it by sending His own Son. And that's the message that I have for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And as you go through this holiday, I, I want to say the same thing. Lots of preachers are going to say, don't make this all about what you can get. Don't make this all about what you're going to even give someone else. Don't make this all about some baby in a manger. Make this about a God who loves you so much that He gave His child to die for you. Make this about a time of renewal where you're willing to say, you know what, I have been doubting God. I have been questioning God. I have been selfish in the way I lived. And you know what? I'm just going to trust Him now. I'm just going to serve Him. I'm just going to do whatever He tells me to do. And if I do that, it pleases Him, and I know that's what matters, and that's just the way I'm going to live the rest of my life. I hadn't done it till now, but that's the way I'm going to live the rest of my life. And my chief concern now is not going to be making more money or getting advancement or people liking me or, or any of the other things. It's not going to be being healthy. It's fine to be healthy, but that's not a goal of life. You're going to die anyway. You know, the goal of life is to please God. Make that your goal. Make that your purpose this year. Even, you know, we've got young ones here. You don't have to be an adult to make it your purpose to please God. At any point in your life, you can decide, this is my purpose, this is where I'm going. You can trust Him. You can't trust anyone else completely, but you can trust Him. All things will work together for good. If you'll love Him, number one, and you'll serve Him. If you'll do that, all things will work together for good. No matter what physically happens in this world, it will all work out for your good because God is for you. I hope you've been encouraged this morning. I hope you've been motivated to think about how you're going to live your life this next year. It's your choice, but I call you to that. If you need 
and want to express that before the congregation, want to make a commitment, say, you know what, I'm going to change the way I live, and I'm going to serve Him, and I'm going to do what He wants. We always offer a song of invitation at this church on Sundays. We do that so that anyone can come forward and ask for prayers of the church or be baptized into Christ. We've got a baptistry here. Someone who wants to begin that walk with the Lord. We offer that invitation opportunity if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.